0: Welcome to Mind Reading Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centered care and practice, as well as humanities research. Do doctors and patients speak the same language and how can we use narrative to bridge the evident gaps? These are the questions that animate the work. Mind Reading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Diseases of Modern Life Project at Oxford University and the University of Birmingham, and expanded to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland and the School of English Drama and Film at UCD. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but are brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research in contemporary medical practice in the field of mental health particularly. This podcast series, Experts in Conversation, brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we postponed due to COVID-19, and is brought to you by the Humanities Institute at UCD and ORCPI Archives. I'm Dr. Claire Hayes-Brady, your host for the podcast. I'm based in the School of English at UCD. This segment of the episode, Vaccinating Ireland, Facts, Fears and Fictions from Mind Readings, Experts in Conversation series, brings us Donald Brennan, who's a clinician scientist who graduated from University College Dublin School of Medicine in UCD now professor of gynecological oncology and consultant obstetrician and gynecological oncologist at the Mater Misericordia University Hospital, the National Maternity Hospital and St. Vincent's University Hospital. He was awarded a PhD in cancer biology by UCD in 2008 and his main research interests are in biomarker development, tumour inflammation and obesity related carcinogenesis. He has received several awards for his research and was awarded European Young Researcher of the Year in 2010. In 2012 he relocated to Brisbane to undertake subspecialist training in gynecological oncology at the Queensland Centre for Gynecological Cancer and completed a fellowship in general on colorectal surgery. He was a visiting scientist at the QIMR Berghofer Research Institute, working closely with Professor Frank Gannon in the Control of Gene Expression Group. He was appointed as UCD Professor of Gynecological Oncology and Consultant Obstetrician and Gynecological Oncologist at the Mater Misericordia University Hospital, the National Maternity Hospital and St. Vincent's University Hospital in May 2016. Since his return to Ireland, Donald has been actively involved in promotion of the HPV vaccine and has appeared in multiple media outlets and addressed the Oroculus Health Committee on the positive impact HPV vaccination can have in eliminating cervical cancer. And he's here to talk about the gaps between communication and science in contemporary culture.
1: Thanks, Claire. And um it's a it's a great pleasure to kind of get the opportunity to speak, particularly at the end of this, because I've learned more in the last hour, I think, than um I learned in a long time. Um and I came into this discussion really with a, an open mind and I am a big believer as you know, and how we can cross over between humanities and medicine and how we can try and learn from each other. Um, because I think one of the big issues in medicine is that uh, whilst technology has moved quite quickly, our ability to communicate that technology has really not. And our ability in particular to use the correct language around medicine, illness and disease is really not appropriate at times and often gets us into trouble as David. And as David alluded to earlier, but as Gerardine uh, spoke about, we haven't learned from our mistakes and we're making the same mistakes again and again and again. And I think that's probably one of the most worrying things. I think it's interesting from a vaccination perspective to go all the way back to Jenner, as um, Harriet spoke about earlier. Um, and Jenner was an interesting character mainly because he was, um, he was a GP out in rural Gloucestershire. Um, uh, he wasn't sitting in a lab in uh, one of the big university centres. Um, and, you know, for those of you that are interested, he inoculated his first patient in 1796, and he was relatively unknown at that point. And uh, uh, by 1807, he had become such an important person in the world that he was able to... Um, influenced Napoleon during the war. And there was a famous story where he he actually uh, generally petitioned Napoleon to release uh, two, two of his friends who were prisoners of war in France. And uh, I think Napoleon said something to, to the Lord, that, uh, to Lion that this man, uh, what this man asked is not to be refused. And I think it's a great example of how important his uh, work was Uh, but i suppose one of the things about jenner was he was uh, he never really left his home and he um he didn't really travel on his fame uh, and he was very clear about the fact that he needed to explain vaccination to all those people who came to be vaccinated by him Um, and it's interesting that maybe we've lost that a little bit over the years uh, that uh, holistic approach to it and and you know Jenner was very clear about the fact that he wanted vaccination to be free at the point of delivery. He, um, he was also very clear that it had to be carefully explained by trusted and trained um, local healthcare workers. And I think that's important. That that idea of how vaccination works in the community, and I'll come on to that in a few minutes again, and it will be available to everyone, and no matter who they were or where they were from. And of course, that is a big issue as we head into what is going to be the biggest vaccination um, drive internationally. Um, that we've ever seen uh, as a result of COVID. Um, and I suppose just to, I'm a, obviously very um, supportive of vaccination and understand the impact it's had on um, the uh, world historically, but obviously we've come through a horrendously difficult year for many people, but I think it's very important that we highlight how positive the outcome is and how quickly science has moved to, um, to develop COVID vaccines. In the, like this time last year, today is the 29th of January, it was Friday the 28th, people were finishing work. They might have been ending up the dry January and heading to the pub. COVID wasn't a thing for them, and how our lives have changed in that year. Um, but the work that has been done by science uh, across the world through collaboration, communication, and of course, most importantly, probably through appropriate financing, has allowed us to develop this vaccine. And I was lucky enough to receive my second dose of the vaccine, and I feel very privileged to. Um, to uh, say that, and I, you know, I hope that over the next number of months, uh, as many people in Ireland as possible can receive that vaccine, so we can get back to normality. Um. So I guess one of the things that I just wanted to touch on was the role of a particular HPV vaccination worldwide and what that is doing for um uh, cervical cancer or HPV related cancers in general. And as uh, David alluded to, we've had our own challenges here in Ireland, but um, really. I would argue that the single most important thing uh, that we, uh, that happened in Ireland was in fact Laura Brennan because um, uh, Laura's message was much stronger than any message that could be portrayed by any other um, uh, person um, who understands uh, cerebral cancer because ultimately uh, it is the patient's lived experience which will have a much greater impact on um, people's opinion on whether things are safe or not as opposed to uh, what any expert or pseudo-expert will say. And I think that comes down to um, a talk that i heard Fergus Shanahan give in Mindfulness, a number of, in Mindfulness, a number of years ago, where he talked about the difference between disease and illness. And medics understand disease very well, but most of us have no idea of illness. And it's really, that's what we learn from our patients. And I often explain to our juniors that patients are our greatest asset. And unfortunately in Ireland in particular, there has been, for various different reasons, a split in that doctor patient relationship and i think really that's something we need to heal. But with regards to um, HPV vaccination i think there's a couple of interesting facts that are worth uh, talking about uh, from our from worldwide and to put it in context um nearly 600,000 women a year get cervical cancer in the, the world um and almost an over 300,000 die. Uh, most of these are uh, uh most of these women are between the ages of 40 and 60. Most of them are the main uh, carers for their children uh, and possibly have huge impact on society is completely underestimated. Um, uh, And really, as a result of our very clear understanding that HPV causes cervical cancer, we can now vaccinate against HPV infection and therefore prevent cervical cancer. It's interesting to see that the the best uh, HPV vaccination program in the world is not in Australia, as we often hear, it's not in Scotland, it's actually in Rwanda, where we now have a 98% uptake rate of vaccination in a country that's post genocide, post conflict, um, extremely low income. And it's very interesting, people want to read up on why that's the case, but it's a multifactorial thing, but it's led from the top by political leadership. It's, but most importantly, coming back to my point earlier, it's also draws right down to the very small areas of community and how community leaders promote uh, vaccination and promote health and well-being, actually, is more important, because it's not just HPV vaccination that's that high. It's all childhood va- childhood immunisation. Childhood immunisation is up to about 98% across the whole of Rwanda. Um, likewise, uh, I was interested to hear Gerardine talk about Scotland, and Scotland has an exceptional um, vaccination programme and has seen... Um, you know, an 89% reduction in the incidence of precancerous lesions in girls who were vaccinated 20 years ago, um, which is the clear, our clear understanding that this works. Um, so how come if we have this intervention that hasn't been ex- universally accepted, and as David alluded to earlier, there are many countries where there are very low levels of vaccination, and Japan is a very good example where it's down to about less than 1%. And I think the three things that we see about vaccination are the message, who gives the message, and then how do we actually address people's worries? Um, and the two things around the message, as uh, Geraldine spoke to earlier, are recurring again and again and again. Horror, uh, scare, worry, anxiety, and um, pollution, uh, that we're going to pollute somebody's body with these foreign um, uh, materials. And really, to me, that's a failure of medical communication. Um, And it's a failure to kind of understand people's, uh, I suppose, anxieties and worries, which are often legitimate. Um, And what we do know is that the single greatest uh, impact on vaccination rates is provider recommendation. And what I mean by provider recommendation is that a medical professional recommends to a patient or oftentimes a friend that they will um, have, that they should have a vaccination. And it's interesting, there's a very interesting study from the U.S. of um, uh, childhood cancer survivors. So these are a group of people who would have regular uh, interactions with uh, healthcare providers. Uh, but interestingly, only about seventy percent of them were uh, ha- were recommended to have HPV vaccination by their um, uh, by their provider, and of those who were recommended, the vaccination rate was exceptionally high. But in the thirty percent in whom the provider didn't sit down and explain to them that they should have this vaccine, the vaccination rate was exceptionally low. And I think it just highlights the fact that you know, as healthcare professionals in particular, we always need to be on guard for that whole um, uh, that for that message. And I often say that I do more work uh, promoting vaccinations at the side of the football pitch and the side of the hockey pitch on a Saturday and Sunday morning where people kind of walk up beside and say, what do you think of this vaccine than I'll ever do it anywhere else? Um, and I often kind of preach that message. And um, The second issue that is, I think, very important, and this is something that maybe we can come back to in the discussion, that we learned particularly in HPV vaccination was the dangers of introducing um, gender specific vaccination, because I think this is a very this was an area that was it was a decision that was made based on cost. And as you know, we've now moved towards gender neutral vaccination. But any suggestion that you would vaccinate one gender and not the other um, is is always going to open yourself up to significant uh, criticism. And it will bring around a certain amount of um, Worry around, particularly fertility, when you start to vaccinate um, uh, young girls, and it's interesting that it kind of falls in with this whole idea of uh, the fact that HPV vaccination is associated with promiscuity, and this is a big problem all over the world. And I'm sure Jardine might be able to uh, talk to us later on about how that may uh, inter- it may be seen uh, historically. But what the people, what the authorities in Rwanda were very good about was that they spoke about this as a, a as a vaccine that could prevent cancer and they didn't speak really about HPV and that was how they started to develop that momentum but for example it, India which has a huge burden of cervical cancer has had very poor uh, ability to uh, to develop a HPV vaccination program uh, mainly around this idea of promiscuity and this kind of brings me on to my kind of final point which is that we really need to fix this because I'm 100 percent sure that there's an enormous stigma attached to uh, cervical cancer and that even in ireland where we've made so many strides over the last five to ten years and becoming a more inclusive and um, respectful society um, women do feel that they have contributed to uh, their getting cervical cancer and they're also stigmatized uh, in their communities um uh, particularly, uh, maybe in smaller communities, uh, when they, and they are very slow sometimes to discuss their um, their diagnosis, uh, and this is something. And they also universally almost um, discuss a feeling of guilt um, and, and why they got the why they got this sexually transmitted infection, which went on to cause their serving plants, which we know, of course, is completely um, non-scientific. So I think one of the things, and one of the challenges that we may be face into now uh, as we go towards COVID um, vaccination, in particular, is how do we address uh, all of these issues, particularly around vaccination of women in pregnancy, vaccination of women uh, who are, who are breastfeeding, and of course all of these uh, debates that are going on around whether people should um, consider postponing trying to have a family until they're vaccinated. All of which, of course, we've no information to to, um, to uh, kind of back up any of the claims that are made, whether they're pro or against vaccination. Uh, But ultimately, and maybe I'm a little bit biased in this that I spend my life uh, caring for women at at an international level, if we do not gain the trust of women in in vaccination and mothers in vaccination, we will run into huge problems because ultimately, whether you like it or not, it is the mothers of the world who bring their children for vaccination. um, And as uh, Kofi Annan said many times, you know, empower women and will fix the world. And I think that's very important that we actually address that. And that we don't allow people sick to old-fashioned agendas about excluding pregnant women or breastfeeding women from ongoing trials. Because that's only going to, re, re in my opinion, that's going to actually reinvigorate all of these arguments that David has spoken about earlier. Um, so on that note, I'll let you back to maybe discussing the more interesting side of these uh, topics that I think Jaredine uh, and David and uh, Harry can bring up because really at a clinical level, we have a lot to learn um, from you guys and how we actually, I suppose, be, have to be so much so careful with our language in particular and particularly over the next number of weeks and months.